You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Michael Rosenbaum. Uh, my birthday was this past weekend. I'm just going to say it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I just heard a few of you while you're driving to work or in the house or, you know, in bed nude. Uh, say happy birthday in that um, in your head. I felt it. So thank you. 48 years old, man. You know that, that whole thing where they always say, uh, you know, I don't feel 48. Or I don't feel 80. I, I've still got my body. My body feels... My body feels like shit, but my I feel... I don't know what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is everybody always says, well, wow, how did I get to be this age? I'm, whether you're 60 or 70, and you're like, I don't feel... I still feel... And it's true. I still feel like I'm uh, in my 20s, man. I do. I just feel... Maybe if you if you listen to me and you, you watch some of the movies I do and the things in my Instagram posts, you're like, well, look at you. I mean, you act 20. Maybe that's why you're single, buddy. Hey, all right. Ever think of that? But uh, I had a great birthday. My friend Harland Williams, very funny comedian, dumb and dumber. Um, actually, he did a little segment on my Patreon. Uh, one of my best friends in the world. We've done a lot of trips together. But uh, he's got a bit, he's got a pool and a backyard. And I haven't really done anything in months. And so uh, me and a few friends, we all got tested before. And we all spread out in his yard and, and swam. And... Uh, it was great, man. It was great. I was, uh, it was exciting. I felt, you know, you, you know, there's six people there. It just felt like, Hey, or, and I got a lot of nice gifts too. Look at this. Hold on. I got this. This is a uh, inside of you. Pillar pillar. That's a pillar. Leah and Kristen got it for me. And it has all the names of everybody that's been on the podcast inside of you. Look at that. It's pretty incredible. I, I really love that gift. They sent me a nice, and I always say, hey, don't get me anything. I really have everything I want. Just, um, you know, some, you know, I have, I have good friends and, you know, you guys out there, it's, it's enough, you know. And um, But when you get something, it's still, you know, I'm not going to say, you know, like, especially when it's a good gift. You're like, holy crap, this is, uh, I'm glad they decided to get me. No, they didn't have to get me anything. These, uh, you know, uh, and just to talk about Patreon for a second, you know, all my listeners, uh those that really love the podcast extra and then want extra footage and supporting the podcast. These folks, there's like 550 of them that are just amazing. And, uh, you know, it's a great, it's a great thing. It's a great community, but, uh, they're so giving, they're so loving and, um, you can't help, but I feel like it's not just, uh, Oh, this is a Patreon and fans can go watch stuff. I feel like it is a, um, it's something special for me. And especially during this whole COVID time, this whole virus thing and all, it just, uh, it's just like, I feel like I have something more to do. And, um, and I know I just love the podcast and some, some good stuff coming your way. I can't tell you right now, but, uh, some good stuff could be potentially great stuff. Um, also for the podcast, before we get to the guest, I got new mugs. They'll be on, uh, on the inside of you store shortly. But uh, they're a different color and uh, inside of you, cool mugs. Look at that. Boom. Boom's inside. Thank you for allowing me to be inside of you. Limited supply. And, of course, we got the, uh, the masks. This is the uh, face mask that say inside of you with Michael Rosenbaum. So that's kind of nice, kind of neat. You can get those on the inside of you online store. At the end of this, we'll uh, read a fan uh, letter like I try to always do. We'll read... Uh, Give my patrons some shout-outs. Uh, the other patron, too, where have all the good horror movies gone with John Heater and Michael Rosenbaum? You can look at that. A lot of fun. We do Zooms and all that stuff. Anyway, 
you know, and also a shout out to my uh, good buddy, Preston, Preston Christensen. He turned 15 on July 8th. I hope he got his presents by now. Um, bought him a bunch of cool stuff. We both love Jim Croce. That's all I'll say. The, the singer, you know, I have to say I love you in a song. Uh, but he's been, he's had eight surgeries for cancer. He's 15 years old and he has, uh, he's been through so many radiation and chemo treatments and, uh, I love him. He's like a, a little brother to me and I've become a family member of this family, Michelle and Chris and Chandler and Renee and, uh, you know, thanks to Lisa Fox for 104.3 FM in LA for giving Preston a shout out and, uh, Nico for putting him in his little video game, the bionic kid that you can get the app for. He put Preston, a character of Preston. It's just nice. I, I definitely, when I do things for other people, I feel better about myself. I feel better. I just, it makes me feel full, you know, if, or, or just, uh, I don't know, better, I guess, lack of a better word, better. It's amazing how you hear gratitude can do so much. And I, I'm telling you by experience, when, you know, when I, before I go to bed, I, I think I've said this, but, you know, I, uh, I close my eyes. And th those nights that I remember to do so, I close my eyes and think of things that I'm grateful for. I get an image of my grandfather, an image of my grandmother, an image of whatever it is, Preston. Um, um, and I, uh, if I, if I happen to fall asleep, which I do, my dreams are better. I sleep better. I'm going into bed with a healthy mind, I guess. Eh, call it cheesy, whatever. I mean, you've been with me for a year and a half, so I think you're you're here. You're not going anywhere, I hope. Let's get into it. Um, you know, this guy has been around. Uh, I say that in, in a very um, admirable way. He's very intelligent. Went to a prestigious school, but uh, he seems like one of the guys. He's uh, very an intense actor, somebody who uh, has done a lot of work, has appeared naked on, um, on stage. I don't know if I could do that. I'd probably have to stretch it out, if you know what I mean. But you know him from Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel, and he's just done a ton of stuff. He's a great guy, and we had a really good conversation. He got very personal, and I hope you enjoy this. This is goes out to a lot of the Patreons who recommended him. I always try to listen to your comments on Patreon and the guests you want. I do my best to get them. Um, and great guests on the horizon, too. I can't wait to, sh to share with you. All right, let's get into James Marsders. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. Where are you right now? Where, 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 you're at your house, but where, where, do you, where are you at? Where do you live? I'm in Los Angeles, sunny Los Angeles, uh, in, uh, in, and uh, that's where I am. <laughs> Have you lived at this house for a while? Yeah, I, um, I've lived here for about 17 years. Uh, I was living in Santa Monica, uh, and I had a little tiny, uh, one bedroom and a fourplex. Uh, I was on just getting off of Buffy and angel and, uh, and it saved all my money. And then you I, lived in uh, an apartment and then you saved all your money from Buffy and angel, which was probably yeah, a decent, decent amount of money. Hour. Yes, it was by the end of it. Yeah. Cause I, it was six years. So there was a good amount of money. And, um, then I took my niece on, uh, to raise her, and I needed a house, good school system, and a nanny. Like, I needed a four-bedroom freaking house. And, uh, I, <laughs> and I did, and I, so I went and, got, went and got a house, 
in a, in a neighborhood with a good public school system and, and the money just went like gone. Just, just Well, uh, yeah, <laughs> the money that I'd saved, you know, uh, and I had to figure out how to, how to make house payments and, and, uh, keep, keep the lights on without being on a regular on a TV show. Now you've been working, uh, but I did. I mean, you've been working like crazy. I, I read all this stuff. You know, I do a little bit of research, not much, because I just like to shoot the shit and find out what makes people tick and what adversity they face and all the stuff that and how they keep going. And I find that stuff more fascinating, which I like to tell my guests. But it's not that I don't care about your career, and you've had a big career, and you have a huge fan fandom. You know, yeah. Buffy and Angel, you've produced or, or been in a part of seventy plays or many, many plays. You went to Juilliard for a couple of years. You did all these things. Uh, and it, it's, it's pretty amazing, but the first thing you said, and you started it was yeah. I had to raise my niece. Yeah. So yeah. how, how did that the, happen? That's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Well, why did this happen? Uh, my brother couldn't get it done. You know, uh, my little brother, uh, is a dual diagnosis and, and, uh, he's a good man, but he, uh, was not able to, to take care of her. And he asked me to. Uh, and she was five and a half. And how old were you? Uh, 40, I want to say. Yeah, 40. I mean, that's not an easy thing to sort of... Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, I mean I, no. your first answer probably is, uh, uh, wait, let's think of some options here. Uh, what, I, mean, what, I mean, your response certainly wasn't, absolutely, I'm in. Uh, it kind of was. Really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's for, for, I don't know, my, like, like for a lot of families and uncles stepping in and raising a nephew or a niece is not really abnormal. It's not, you know, it is a big ask definitely, but it's not that weird. You know, uh, maybe it would be, maybe it's weird for a Hollywood actor to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to say, um, honestly, with all sincerity, I think if, my brother said, hey, you know, uh, I'm going to have to ask you uh, to take care of uh, my daughter. I'd say, no, that's not going to happen. Uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I don't know what I would say. I mean, look, to be honest, I mean, you know, you don't know what you do until you're in that situation. And then you sort of go, OK, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Am I the best person for this job? Because I look at myself like, dude, come on, man. You live alone. You know, what are you going to take care of something? You got two dogs. I, did you were you worried? Could you do this? Yeah, well, that was it. the first thing is, is that I was the only one in the family that was willing. Everyone else had said no. So, uh, the, and then the second thing, I, I guess I was the last one asked. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so the, the initial ask was, you know, no one else is willing. So it's, it's either you or she's going to go into a foster home. And I know enough about little girls in, in foster care to know that that really wasn't uh, going to be a good outcome for my niece. Uh, well, she's my, she's my daughter now. Um, uh, and yeah, I was, I was, I was crazy worried, man. Um, I was already a father, uh, but I was a weekend father and, uh, we would shoot, we would shoot Buffy. We shot about 70, 80 hours a week. And then I would get in a car on Friday night or early Saturday morning and then drive 350 miles to go, to go visit my son, which is like a whole nother adventure. Uh, uh, and then spend the weekend with him every other week and then come back and, 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 sh- and keep shooting. Uh, My so God. I had, I had experience being a parent. Um, but that is the, 
the difference between being the good time weekend dad and being the one, the, the dad who's going to be enforcing structure uh, is just a, is, is a night and day. Hey, wait a minute. You're, uh, you're, you know, you're glitching. You're talking and I'm seeing your mouth, but it's like glitching a little bit. Let me see you now. Start talking. Please be good. Please be good. Oh, that's, I think. Better? Oh, yeah, bro. I think we have what we right? call some people. And call. I think that my skin texture also looks. Oh, yeah. Phenomenal. So. Yeah. Good okay. This is good. This is good. We're good now. We're good. Yeah. All right. So we were talking. Save and my wife again. Thank you, Mrs. Marsders. Is that her, her last name? Yep. Yep. What was her name before? Uh, it was um, Ramen. Ramen? Yeah, she's uh, she is half Bangladeshi and half German. Ooh, does she speak German? She does. Does she ever speak to you like Sprechen Sie etwas Deutsch? Oh yeah, all the time she sings in German. Does she say Heizmaul? Means shut you know, your I shut your know. mouth. I, I don't remember. I don't speak German. Shut your mouth, James! Enough with your boffy shit. No one wants to hear this anymore. I'm tired. It's old news. It's old. No, it's she, old. He has no discernible accent whatsoever. Really. Yeah, yeah. I kind of like a little German accent. I, I don't know. I, I've went out with uh, German women before. I always liked the accent. Like, Michael, you have to slow down. You talk too fast. <laughs> I'm like, I know. I'm sorry. No, she knows. In some ways, she knows English better than I do. Uh, she'll she'll be able to spell a word that I don't know, or there's some some in, in some situations punctuation that escapes me. I'll, I'll go and ask her about it, and. Uh, uh, and she'll know things I don't know. Yeah, that's usually the case for me. I never know anything that's right when it comes to English. I never say the right thing. I never do the right thing. I never spell the right thing. We're Americans. We were not really <laughs> educated, really. Yeah, not as well. Not as well. No. That's just what are we going to do? But, all right. So, all right. So, you take on your niece who becomes your daughter. And what's her name? Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little. The one thing that my, my, my daughter has asked me is to keep her out of uh, social. Of <laughs> she does not want any reflected celebrity whatoever. Uh, she's really Good. clear about that. Good for her. That she yeah, doesn't want to be an actor, though, right? She doesn't want to be an actor. Hell no. Well, she's, there you go. She's a mathematician. She's going for her doctorate Whoa. in mathematics, and uh, for now she's closing in on her master's right now. Uh, see, this is see, I'm bragging again, which is me. I'm talking about her. Um, she's an amazing <laughs> person. She's she's my phoenix, and she. Uh, 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 yeah. <laughs> did you did you get good grades growing up? Were you smart? Did you excel in math and and, and literature and all these things in high school? Were you a, a smart guy? You see, because you're a smart guy, so obviously. Yeah, I I don't know. You know, my I grew up in a highly intelligent family, and I came I came to understand, at least in my family, that intelligence more often than not was just used to rationalize insanity or ill behavior. And that that it that that the high intelligence often is just people spinning their wheels in the mud, um, and so yeah, I. Uh, that says yeah, so I much say to I'm me. Intelligent. I would yeah, I guess I say, I would say that I'm intelligent. I don't know how good that is, really. <laughs> I really like the way you said that, though. You almost said like really intelligent people. It's like almost like it's a cover for almost like they have ill intentions in a way, like where they can get away with uh, bad things because they appear to be so knowledgeable or, you know, is that. Well, just, yeah. Or just to myself, you know, I have a, I have a capacity to, to rationalize uh, myself to myself and, and tell myself that I'm doing, doing the right thing when in fact I'm not. 
and and so that my intelligence is actually a tool for me to deceive myself. And I notice that in other intelligent people too. Um, um, Don't you dare look at me and say that. <laughs> no, I was just thinking. You know, I did a, I did a play where this guy uh, was pretending to be uh, uh, a person. How, how do we, uh, uh, someone with a very low intelligence, very low intelligence. He was a murderer who was trying to get away with it in this way or hide and then kill people. It was a play. And so I, I went and hung out with a community of people uh, of very low intelligence, and they were supremely happy, good people. It was, it was absolute joy to be around them. I felt good every time I was around them. Uh, whereas... I mean, when I hang out with you, I got to say, I'm, I, I am very happy. You're a great guy. There you go. See? Uh, yeah. But, I, mean, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, oftentimes when you when you are talking with someone who's very intelligent, especially someone who's very intelligent and, and is very proud of that or really taking themselves seriously or trying to prove how intelligent they are, I was like, right. it's really annoying. Don't you think? You know, I remember... <laughs> I mean, yeah, she's not listening to this anyway, but I remember being at Carrie Fisher's party, not to name drop, years ago. And she had a couple of drinks maybe, but I remember <laughs> Sharon Stone going on and on about how high her IQ was. And I thought my friends would punch me in the face if I said that once. She's like, oh, I have a very, very high IQ. My IQ is extremely high. I'm like, I, wow, you're brilliant. Yeah, I just sat there going, wow, she's really saying this out loud. And a couple of us were looking at each other like, wow. But, uh, you know, um, you said... But really, really I interrupt you. No, go ahead. Really intelligent people have the capacity to explain things that might seem complex in a very simple way. If Like the kind of intelligence that I really respect. Like, um, I remember... What's his name? McCulley. Uh, is this older actor in Chicago explained uh, Hamlet to me, and Hamlet had always been this this uh, you know great play with big themes and all this complexity, and he was just like, no, it's just about a teenager who's who's wondering if he should kill himself because he finally realized that the world is totally messed up. That's it. That's the whole thing. You know, does he does does Hamlet give up, uh, or does he try to change things? Does he try to make a difference or does he just, once he really learns how infinitely screwed up his, his, his surrounding world is, does he just kill himself or give up or does he try to affect positive change? And that's it. Uh, <laughs> I was just stunned, you know, wow. but it took someone of very high intelligence to kind of, um, to bring that, to be able to pare it down to its, its simple truth. I wish people would um, do that. I wish instructions like instruction manuals for like fixing a lamp or things like, I wish they would just say in one sentence. This is all you have to do. I start looking at things and I just get overwhelmed by everything. Everything overwhelms me. I don't like reading directions. I just try to wing it. You seem like a direction guy. You look at the directions. You study them. I have been that in the past. And I got to say, I'm a little a little bit better now. Like I got, I got a Bowflex. And I got that thing in the mail. <laughs> oh. And that was just like, oh, I'm, I'm screwed. I'm, like this thing, I, I'm never, and, and the thing about a Bowflex is if you do it wrong, it's all about tension and wires and stuff. And you're likely to just slice open your carotid artery or something. <laughs> 
Uh, but you so figured that out. Well, I was well motivated to like really pay attention to step one, make sure step <laughs> one's done, and move on to step two. And that that, that went well. You do know, you I'm think? Do you think you were? Um, I mean, obviously we evolve, so and you mature, but mature. Do you think like in when you start you started to do plays in like how old were you when you started doing uh, getting into acting? Uh, fourth grade. Fourth grade. Fourth fourth or fifth grade. Yeah. Fourth, and you knew, or people looking at you like, oh, he's got something. This guy's good. I don't know. It was, I played Eeyore, I remember, in Winnie the Pooh. And I remember being really, like, passionate about getting to the pathos of Eeyore. Like, I really thought that there was a sadness and a depth to that character that I wanted to mine. So I, I suspected I was a little too serious for the play. Uh, so maybe, <laughs> but I think then in sixth, in, in the summer, between sixth and seventh grade, I did two plays. And then I was truly bit. And I remember one was called The Me That Nobody Knows, which was a um, a musical written by inner city kids. Uh, the, the monologues were written by inner city kids. And then uh, uh, Broadway people uh, wrote songs based on the things that they, that they wrote. Uh, and I just remember singing in front of an audience and feeling connected to them. Uh, and feeling like I was doing a good job uh, and that everyone was kind of good with it. Like we were all together in the same room. I was doing this thing. They were looking at me and everybody, no one was uncomfortable and it was all kind of good. And I remember being really bit by that. Did your parents uh, sort of uh, tell you, hey, James or Jimmy, Jimmy, you're really good. Jimmy. Did yeah. they call you Jimmy? Um, no. Okay. I... No, not so much. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, they were, I wouldn't say, like, the best thing that, that I got from my parents was complete apathy toward whether or not I should be an actor. Like, they just didn't really, didn't care. Like, it's up to you. You know, do what you want. They weren't really against it. They weren't really that for it either. So you didn't have to really, you didn't try, did you try to prove to them that you were good? Did you always, were you always trying to, like, look at me, I'm great? Were you that guy? Were you that kid that was just like, I want everyone to know I'm great? Because, look, I think I did. I think I have many times in my life where I'm like, I want, I want to be great. So people think, and that's obviously not the way to be. Yeah. I definitely was like that. There was a time when I thought that if I couldn't be the greatest actor in the world, there was no point in trying at all. And, and then, then you, you come to realize that, that there's no real competition in art, you know, that all artists, we're all trying to just uh, get honest with ourselves and then express what we find. And so like, um, like I couldn't, I, you would never want to do uh, rebel without a cause. Like the remake, if you get the call, we're, we're remaking rebel without a cause. You want the lead, you know, you would never say yes to that because you cannot touch James Dean and you can't, you no success will be in, in, in redoing that. But I don't know if James Dean would make the greatest spike, frankly. Exactly. You know? So I, I'm only trying to be the best me. Uh, and so in that way, there's no competition at all. Uh, and I suspect the same would be true with the other arts, you know, sculpture, you know, you can't, you know, if you act a, ask a sculptor, you know, who, who's better, Michelangelo or Rodin, you know, be like, well, they were trying for different things. They were different people expressing different things. So, I mean, like, I don't see, know we, always, we get, we get into that too. And I've gotten to this on the past podcast where then you start comparing yourself like, oh, cause I would do that. I go, I love music so much. I love music more than anything in the world. I'm not the most amazing singer. I'm not the most amazing musician, but I love it. I love it. I'm like, but I shouldn't do it because, you know, uh, so-and-so has such a great voice and my voice isn't even on, on the left. I shouldn't do it. And that's not why you should do things. And it's yeah. taken me so long to understand that if you just enjoy it, 
You can't, the whole world isn't going to love what you do no matter what. Just do it because you love it. Because if you're not doing what you love, then I, I don't even know why you're here on this planet. So, and I've been on this planet a long time so far. And I, well, it's short time if you think about it, but <laughs> I feel like I don't want it to get too late in life where I, I miss out on things because I'm scared or uh, I don't feel like, you know, I'm going to be great at that. Or I just want to try to enjoy things. And did, did you, have you always enjoyed acting? Have you always? Yeah. You know, I, I primarily enjoyed being in a group of people that were functioning more or less harmoniously. You know, uh, uh, that was, I think the, that, and then the, the sense of connection of being on stage, uh, you got a message? No, I'm just thinking <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I think that I think for me, art is an, is, is, is an artist creating something that expresses their experience and then they put the art out into the world to see, does anyone else react to this? Am I alone? You know? And then and if the audience reacts to it or if the public reacts to it and, and the public says, wow, I, I recognize myself in that piece, whether it's painting or, or, or a TV show or whatever, then the artists who made it feel more connected, like, oh, I'm not alone. Um, and the great thing about theater is that moment happens when you're in the same room with the audience so you can see it happening. And, and it's powerful for the audience, too, because the audience is, if everything's working right, the audience is looking at the play going, oh, I felt that. I'm not alone. Um, and then they see the other audience members react to it. And so they're not alone in the fact that the other, they're with a group of people who feel the same way or a similar way. And there's this wonderful sense of connection that starts to grow when a play is working. The opposite is true when a play is not working. Oh, yeah. This pretentious <laughs> piece of shit. I remember I went to see it. I'm not going to even get into it. I remember I saw, well, I saw a play with a friend and we were going to see a friend. But what are the odds of the person who's in the play's best friend or brother sitting right next to me? Oh, no. So no. I just, you know, I didn't say anything, but I was just like, no play needs to be for it. I'm not, I'm not, look, I'm not like, I, I just, if a movie's more than two hours, I'm usually out unless it's Forrest Gump. I'm just, I'm not into it. If yeah. a play's more than three hours, fuck off. If a, a concert's more than three hours, fuck off. I just, I don't have the patience for it. And I remember just going, oh my, we have, how could we have, do we have three intermissions? Is that right? <laughs> I've never heard of that. Is that, has that ever happened? And I think he heard some of that. And then I, and then when I went, I, you know, I, I might have caught a nap, like a little doze. And then I remember backstage, he was like right there with me. And I go, oh, my God. Oh, my God. He's like, hey, this is Michael. I'm like, dude, I think uh, I'm an idiot. And I know he said something. It just, I can do one better. I uh, remember going to see, again in Chicago, the, this, uh, this actor-director in town uh, had directed me in a really wonderful play. And I was hoping that he would use me again. He's a really good director. And he was acting in a play. And, he, and I went to see it. And the play really wasn't that good. He was at a good performance. And I thought that I owed him my honesty when I went backstage. So I told him <sighs> that he was in a dog. And, and, and to see his face just, just fall uh, was one of the Did he ever talk to you again? No. 
Yeah, that could ruin a friendship. It could. You know. Because he's got to go out there and hump that thing over the hill every night. Oh, yeah, you made a mistake, James. You you can't. You you can't can't rob someone of hope. Maybe the last night you say, yeah, by the way, you done? This is it, right? You're not doing (laughs) it. They're not extending the play, right? Yeah, you sure? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man, this is a dog, bro. I did did one play. It was was, uh, The Marriage of Figaro, not the – not the uh, opera, but the play, and um, it's a it's comedy, right? It's a it's a biting comedy about the about uh, class, and uh, it was misdirected, and uh, we didn't get one laugh in a month and a half, just absolute crickets, not one laugh, and about two weeks into the run, it got to be kind of a relief to realize how bad the play was that we were doing. And and just revel in uh, <laughs> how bad it was. I guess that's all you can do. You got to hey, what your survival tactic is? Hey, this is what we're doing. Let's just bear down and you know <laughs> yeah, fucking do exactly. it. Like, oh my god! Paid, but you know, and we we have to do the plays directed, so we're just going to do this thing. But yeah, you know, I I, I read that you were in a play and they rolled you out on a wheel and you were naked. That was my my professional debut. Yeah. And where was that? That was at the Goodman theater in chicago how old were you 24 and this is whole naked but this is penis balls everything oh yeah yeah. the um the artistic director was a was like the goodman was the big premier theater in chicago it had a much older audience subscription base um and they had just hired a new fiery young artistic director and he wanted to kick out he wanted, he wanted to get a younger subscription base. So he wanted all the old people to get offended and so that he could have room to attract a younger audience and he could do edgier plays. And so he put nudity in every, in every show in that first season. And, uh, the yeah, younger so people I'm, come out to see you. Cause you, it was, you, they heard dong was in it. Did you hear that? What? Did you hear that long duck dongs in this play? I'm going to go check out that play. <laughs> or did you get more, were there more women or more guys or whatever that came to see the show? Because I could hear, I could hear the clicking of the opera glasses. It was a big house and, and they would roll me out and I'd hear, oh, here, and everyone was like with their little, you know, binoculars, their little monocle. What are they called? No, they're like, they're really old fashioned. Oh like, yeah, 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 yeah. A little flick out and, it, and it's both I eyes. Know. It's a little tiny pair of binoculars. But I remember the, um, the sprites, the, the, the guys who were playing the little fairies and sprites who were wheeling me out would show me pornography because I was strapped in the thing. So they would like shove pornography in front of me right before they, they, uh, they rolled to, me To try and get you aroused? Yeah, 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 yeah. Did it work? No, hell no. No, how could you're, I you're even... about to be rolled out in front of 700 people. Like, there's no Well, way. wait a minute. When they, you say rolled, to... are you rolled upside down and up, rolled upside no, down? No, no, no. It was like on a... Because like on a the flippity flap. I was kept thinking, if this is a wheel that's going like that around, it's going to flap. It's going to be too funny. People are going to be like, oh, there's this dick flapping up and down, up and down. Thank God. So did you, let me ask you this, because I would do this. Did you stretch it at first? Like, hey, I don't want it to be too cold, or I want to I want to pull it down. I want to make it longer than it is. You had to. I wish I would have thought of that. Or maybe you're I just fine. I didn't, I didn't, didn't, I know, I didn't try. But you were quoted <laughs> as saying, after that, I could be naked anywhere. It didn't matter at that point, after doing that. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that got, you know, you know you'll survive after doing that. I don't know that I would say that I, I, it has no effect on me. You know, I don't know. I don't know that I am entirely comfortable. 
I guess if it's a, for a good cause. Like I did this play called Just Friends where it was just it was it was a picnic during World War II. Apparently um, during World War II, people would go out into the fields and watch the German bombers come over on their way to London and they would actually picnic and watch this. Um, and it was a, a man who was discovering that he was gay, meeting a openly gay artist and them sitting down and having a talk and a picnic together. And at the end of the play, the artist that I, I play, the artist takes off all his clothes and there's a pause and the gay the, the, the man who's discovering himself takes off all his clothes and then they lay down to sunbathe and it's lights out. And it's just called just friends. Like they, they're not going to become lovers. They're just, they're just there for each other as human beings. They're just talking about them. And so, and it's really cool. And in that way, I was uh, very happy to do the, the nudity, you know, that, that served like a real purpose there. Um, if the nudity is just for titillation, I'm a lot less comfortable. With yeah. It. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out and it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here has been using it for a while. And I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp? When you don't have therapy. Oh, the weeks where I miss a session? Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's like the more you talk about something, even if you don't think you have anything to talk about, things come up and it puts your mind at ease. And we all carry around different stressors, you know, big and small. And at times we keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for all of us. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash inside inside of you is brought to you by rocket money i love rocket money you know why because everyone should have rocket money because it just helps you save money how many times do we have subscriptions that we don't even know we have anymore and we're paying so much money just throwing away money ryan i i found one you and you did it you told I me found, i got rocket money okay i found one it i'm embarrassed to say how long it's been going on but thank you for finding it <laughs> my god it was embarrassing <laughs> yeah because it's like you want to watch some show and you go oh, i have to subscribe to this uh this streaming uh, whatever mm -hmm. and you you start streaming the show you watch it you leave and you forget after this trial period it kicks in and it's they're charging terrible. you 10 bucks a month it's, it is embarrassing Ugh. you know 75 percent of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about before i started using rocket money i thought i had you know, like, oh, I have like five subscriptions. I could not believe it when they showed me I was paying for like four extra. Uh, 
between you know streaming advices and fitness apps, delivery services, it's never ending. And thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with the customer service for you. And I like that. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash inside. That's rocketmoney.com slash inside. Rocketmoney.com slash inside. Let me ask you, did your life completely change when, uh, when you got Buffy? Did that, that, that was that the sort of the turning point of like, okay, this is the next level people are, had you ever really been recognized as much or, or was it really Buffy that did that? Oh, it was absolutely Buffy. It was a night and day. I mean, like I would get, I would get like, when you're doing theater, um, you might have someone stop you without taking a walk and someone would stop you and say, I saw you Macbeth last night. You were very nice. Or, you know, there would be that thing kind of going on, but that was night and day from the kind of thing that happened during Buffy. Uh, and I was, uh, I was afraid of being famous. I was terrified that I would lose my soul and become a douchebag if I got famous. Uh, I, I, uh, I did this, I, man, we're talking so much about theater, but it's formative for me. So, so, um, were you part of the thespian society in high school? No, I did a play in high school. I was in, I, I took drama for four years, then I did a play, and then when I went to college, I started doing more and more plays and got yeah, involved. Yeah. But well, not, there's, not a, really. there's, there's a the drama club, uh, you know, the nationwide drama club, yeah, the thespian society, right? So um, every other year, they would go to Ball State University and have a convention, and for that convention, they would they would have a play that was cast from all around the country, um, and my senior year was coincided with uh with this convention and that year's play was godspell and they cast me as jesus in the in the play and within the confines of ball state university we were like the who in 1972 we we were we were like led zeppelin in 70 you know um and that like we had to we had to have bodyguards we had to be shuttled around we had people like breaking into our into our uh dorm room the thespian club the thespian society this is, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was this weird thing. And, and like, after the play, the audience, like, stormed the stage, and they started tearing my costume off, you know, trying to get bits of the costume what? and stuff. Yeah. And I remember thinking, like, I'm really glad this is happening to me at age 18, because now I know I don't want to go to Hollywood. I, I am, I, 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 this is not what I want. So I will stay in theater where it's, it's not, you know, being super famous is, is not usually in the cards. I would have uh, ran. I would have yeah. just like, yes, take me away, Calgon. <laughs> this is awesome. And then, of course, you, you figure it out. Yeah. Well, so you experienced that. But, like, well, first of all, I want to go back because I know you've told this story, but I, I like to twist it up a little bit if possible. So when you get Buffy, is it something like you obviously auditioned for it? Yeah. And you no, did, an, did they want English accent? They did. They asked me if uh, I could do any other accents. I said, yeah, I can do quite a lot of different accents. And they said, you'll give us another one. And, um, and I, I had, again, I had done a play where I, I, I used, uh, uh, 
I let's see, um, like a deep, uh, like a Louisiana accent, like deep, deep on south, way on down Louisiana, like that. And uh, again, I was playing a killer, and the killer was on the phone with the lead of the play, and we were getting all of these laughs that that we didn't plan on having. And I remember asking the director, why are we getting these laughs? And they, he said, well, they can't see your face and you're using that accent. They think you're black. So it's playing differently than I wrote it, but it's actually working very well. And I was like, okay. Um, and I thought when they asked me later during the Buffy audition, like what other accent? I thought, well, because he said, he said that the accent that you're using would have been a white accent, say, 150 years ago. But in modern times, it's only it's only uh, only black people would use that accent now. So they think you're black. So I thought, well, a vampire, that would be a fun accent to use that to use that one. I'm a vampire. So, so I did that as well. But I mean, like, Joss wanted a uh, Joss Whedon, the guy who did Buffy, uh, who, who made it up. Um, he he wanted a, an English punk rock vampire. And uh, it's not surprising that he said, no, that's cute. Uh, that other accent's very cute, but I want what I want. What did you wear for the audition? Uh, I imagine the, the character was really scruffy, so I wore this old black T-shirt um, uh, that I'd had for like 15 years. <laughs> most of my clothes at this point, I was really poor, so most of the clothes I had, I, I had had for 15 years. But this black t-shirt you know like have you ever had one of those t-shirts that you wash it so often that all the cotton is gone yes and from the blend and you only have the the synthetic stuff behind you know yeah. um because that was the most messed up t-shirt that i had that wasn't full of holes uh and they loved that t-shirt and in fact they used that t-shirt for the first few episodes maybe the maybe all of season two we used that t-shirt and what had been like a dish rag in my life suddenly became Rags like the shroud of Turin because they couldn't double it. They couldn't find a t-shirt that was that messed up. So there's only one of them. So that whenever I had that, whenever I was in costume, they're like, no, be careful. You're drinking coffee. Don't get it on the t-shirt. Be careful with the t-shirt. And I was just like, <laughs> Did you know in the room when you're reading for Joss, you read for Joss, obviously. Yeah. Joss and, and a whole bunch, a whole bunch of people. Did you, did you really milk it? Did you turn it on with that accent? Because that accent, surprisingly, I know you've heard it, but it's like most people think you're English. And then they meet you, yeah. and they're like, "Holy shit, he's not." I think the accent was not actually that great in the first bit. Uh, I, I think it got better uh, as time. Like, if you do anything for six years, you'll probably get pretty good at it, you know. And, right. and I think by the end of it, it was really a credible accent. But in the beginning, it wasn't that great. But I thought I was great, and yes, I, I was. I was. Uh, I remember <laughs> this is this is great. I remember uh, being so proud that I was uh, from theater. And that I thought that I had much more experience than anyone else auditioning. So I remember being out in the audition room and facing a wall, doing Shakespeare monologues really loudly, just so everyone else would think, uh, oh, that's a real actor. I'm screwed. I was trying to mess with people, not realizing nobody cares about Shakespeare in Los Angeles. No one did. <laughs> did they people, hate they you? Just thought I, well, the, the people they, in the audition room, they thought I was psychotic, I imagine. Tis called the evil, a most miraculous work of this good king, exactly. which often since my here remained in England, I have seen him do. I mean, is that, like, what the fuck is he doing? <laughs> exactly. He's on Buffy. And then finding out that, that that insane man got the role, you're just like, I quit. Forget it. You know, you know, and you hear about this because I'm one that can relate to you about the, you know, the hair and the bleach, and I had to shave my head so we could relate to it. And so, 
but like it, it, it burned, it really burned your scalp. Like it, it hurt. Oh, so bad. So bad. Yeah. But it, cause it was just because we had to do it every episode. We had to do it every, every eight days because a vampire's dead. So your the, the hair doesn't grow. So you can't have roots. So on the bottle, it says only do this every six weeks. It's not safe to do it more often than that. And we were doing it every eight days. So when you, when you, when you bleach, you would get blisters, you get blisters on your skull uh, because it's, it's really heavy chemical. Um, and so we were, we were pouring bleach on top of the open wounds from the last bleaching, like every eight days. Did you think that you so were going to maybe not grow your hair out? Like you're going to lose your hair. You're going to go bald. You're going to be scarred for life. Yeah. They, they would say, we don't know if you're going to have hair by the end of this. And I was like, screw it. Pay me. I'll buy hair. You know, like after, after, after 15 years of abject poverty, I, you know, the hair was my last concern. Wow. I was, I was just trying to make money to, because I became a father, so I moved down to Los Angeles to try to buy diapers and healthcare and stuff like that. And so, you know, at that point, hair schmear. <laughs> hair schmear. But, you know. I didn't know. I don't know how to do anything else. And, you know, like, keep paying me. I'll do, Jesus. I mean, you're acting. You're doing something you love. You know, the character wasn't supposed to be around very long. And then, you know, they, the fans loved you. Did you feel like, uh, I'm going to renegotiate and they're not going to pay me this guest rate shit. And I'm going to get paid salary and I'm going to get paid fairly because I'm an integral part of this mofo show. Uh, no, I, I, um, I was only signed to one year and the whole idea was they told me you would be in between five and 10 episodes. And so my whole deal was just to try to make it closer to 10 than five. That was the whole thing. And then, and then at the end of season two on Buffy, but the job was over. And I do remember thinking, try to do it without me guys, my rock. And then I remember tuning in to season three, which I wasn't in uh, at the time. And they had a character called Faith that Eliza Desky was doing. And that was freaking awesome. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, they don't need me at all. But they did. I, I don't know. I uh, think that it was a character that the writers enjoyed exploring. You guys got along real well, you and Joss. No, I was terrified of Joss. Really? Absolutely terrible. I've never met him, but he seen. I thought you know. I thought he was just a, such a nice guy, gentle yeah. man, right? But, yeah, but the thing the thing is, is that um, uh, I was imperiling the theme of Buffy, which is that Buffy is actually the same theme as Hamlet, which is how do you get through adolescence? How do you see the world is screwed up and not give up? How do you take arms against the sea of troubles? How do you how do you make a positive difference in the world? And um, vampires in Buffy are just metaphors for all of all of the challenges that you face in that period. Um, and so, uh, you know, Joss felt that vampires should be ugly. They should be very quickly overcome. And they were not supposed to be sexy. He, he, he said, I don't like that Anne Rice crap. <laughs> and he got talked into one romantic interest vampire. That was Angel. It wasn't his idea. Uh, and he, that was the only one. That was the exception. And then I came along, and I wasn't designed to be uh, a romantic character, but then the audience reacted that way to it. And I remember he backed me up against a wall one day, and he was just like, I don't care how popular you are, kid. You're dead. You hear me? You're dead. Dead. And I, and I, I was just like, uh, you know, it's your football, man. Like, okay, you know. Wait, was he, was he kidding around? No. Hell no. Hell no. He was angry and, with and you? He was angry at the situation, I think. Or he was. He Did was he ever frustrated. apologize? No. He, why, why should he? If it had been me in his shoes, I'd have killed me off just immediately. So, wait, wait, wait. You're saying he resented you because of your popularity? He resented a situation where he had to deal with another romantic vampire when his theme was that vampires are the problems you get, you have to get over 
in high school in season two when the when the when he's trying to hold on to a really good theme and it's getting corrupted by 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 a surprise character right and and i like evil is not cool you know evil and i think that a lot of a lot of uh, what we do in a hell in, in los angeles and hollywood by when we portray evil as cool i think that we're really lying I think that evil is stupid and laughable and, uh, and um, it sh- should not be portrayed as cool. And I really respect Joss that he is not interested in portraying evil as cool. Uh, and yeah, I mean, if, if I had been producing that show and, and, and I had been in control and Spike was getting romantic thing, I, I just would have slit his throat right away. <laughs> right. <laughs> We just protect the theme, yeah. What's your favorite? I don't don't think I'm as brave as Josh. Josh decided to like deal with it, you know, and try to try to find a way to to explore that. Who did you love working with most? Like, if you remember, like off the cuff, like right at top of your head, Tony. Who? Tony Head. Anthony Head played Giles, the older guy, the librarian. Um, he was hands down the best actor on the show. Uh, he. uh, I remember I did my first scene with him, and I remember thinking. Old man, would you wake up? I'm gonna mop the floor with you, man. Because he wasn't doing anything; he was kind of mumbling, and I didn't catch it. And then I saw the episode, and he just—there there was no need to watch me. It was all about him because wow. he wasn't lying, he wasn't performing, he wasn't trying to impress anybody. He was just letting you stare at him as he figured stuff out, and it was fascinating. Wow. And I remember realizing that I had to go back to zero. And I, I had come in so proud of, of all of my tools from stage and very few of them were going to be useful in front of the camera. Uh, and so I, I, uh, I would watch Tony and I would, uh, I would come in, even if I wasn't in the scene, I would just sit on an app box and watch him work and notice what he was doing. And most importantly, what he was not doing. He was not pushing it out. He was just experiencing something yeah. that the camera could document. He was giving himself an actual experience that the camera could then record. Do you have a strong work ethic? Do you, um, are you hard on yourself? Do you learn lines easily? Do you, uh, do you get nervous on set? Do you, uh, let things kind of overwhelm you? Do you, is there that kind of essence that you sort of carry on, on around when you're working? I don't know if I get nervous. No, I don't get nervous. In fact, when, when things go really wrong on set, I love that <laughs> really? uh, because then I get a chance to show off, you know, like, uh, like we have to get this shot. We're out of time. You know, I love that. Uh, really? I, yeah. Yeah. Really you want to be the go-to guy. Yeah. Because I, I mean, I know my lines, man. I'm like, okay, okay. Let's jump off the cliff. We have to do it. This is exciting. You know? Um, but uh, I've learned that uh, in order to have fun, I have to know my lines really well Mm -hmm. because if i don't know my lines so well then i'm sweating it and and then it's very stressful but if i know my lines so well that they just come out like i think kubrick said the actor should know their lines so well that they can't say them wrong and i think that there's a lot to that so so yeah i I put a lot of effort into knowing my lines so i just can press a button and just comes out and so then I, i can start thinking about all the things not the words but all the things that i'm thinking why I'm saying the words, you know what I mean? Yeah, I absolutely. Like the, so you, you can know, sort of like talk to someone and look at something and grab something and like open a book and like do things and not think of your lines. And that's what people yeah. do. I'm like looking at something. I'm like, yeah, so James and I'm drinking my uh, club soda. 
And I just want to have a conversation. Exactly. That's exactly yeah, like why I'm you want to know your lines. And you can always tell. I'm wondering when I can sneak another sip of coffee. Yeah. You know, I, got, I got my coffee over there. And a lot of times I'm looking over. No, no, I should keep talking right now. I was waiting until till Michael's making a point. And, I'm gonna go, and yeah. you could see the people struggling that are just like going, I just want to get, I looked into the mirror last night and I went over my lines and these are the lines and that's it. And uh, please don't have me do anything else. And that's yeah. all, you know, whatever. Do you, what's the line that fans, when you go to these cons, because I've seen you at the cons and they love you and you play music and you, all these things. What's the, the, the quote? They always say, will you say this line? Is there a line that, that yeah. is your favorite or their favorite or that you go, oh, this one again, I have to say. Like mine is, I am the villain of the story. So what's yours? Out for a walk, bitch. That's it. I only have to say five words. Out for a walk, bitch. Yeah, yeah. But you said it a certain way. Yeah, but Buffy finds Spike outside her uh, house uh, staring into the window. She's like, Spike, what are you doing here in five words or less? And he's all completely embarrassed that he's been caught. Uh, he's in love with her. She's not in love with him yet. And he's totally embarrassed. And he's like, well, out for a walk. Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's, a great line. it's a great line. Do you remember uh, working on Smallville with me and Tom? And yeah. Yeah. What, what do exactly. you remember about that experience? Because I remember, you know, and Tom loves you, by the way. He I, every time we see you somewhere, he's like, he's like oh, I like that guy. I he's the whole cast, man. That was such a great experience, man. Um, I remember being on set with you and having publicity wanting to stoke a competition between you and I, and the fact that you and I would not have it, and we would just not feed into that at all. And we were just like, no, this is a cool guy, man. I can't wait to act with him. It's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> And they kept asking me questions like, yeah, don't, aren't you, don't you think you're going to get over on him on today? Aren't you going to, who's the better actor? Who's the bigger badass? I'm like, I have, oh my God. You know, <laughs> um, I remember this, I remember the humiliation of acting with Tom Welling. Um, Cause we would do a lot of walk and talks and I'm not, I'm not Tom Welling tall. So when you have, you know, the, the, the close-up shot of both of us in the shot, if you want me in the shot, you have to put me up on Apple boxes. And so when we're walking, they would have to like tape 15 to 50 apple boxes together in a big ramp uh, to, you know. To How tall are shot. you? Five nine. It's, it's, a, it's a reasonable height, but it's he's six five. He's six five. Yeah. I had to deal with it too. And I was Lex Luthor. And I was like looking up at him going, listen, you motherfucker. You know, and it's like, Jesus, you know. But, Did you uh, stand on an apple box? Occasionally I would. You know, I'd say, hey, guys, I want an apple box. And the director would go, what, are you suddenly going to be taller than Tom? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, all right, split the difference. Half an apple. <laughs> um, well, dude, you know, and I know that you love playing music. I know that you had a band. I know you broke up. I know you got back together and, and did some things. I, I had a band, too, and it's it's sort of like every actor has a band. It's like, I just, no, what it is is I like fuck, I, I love music. You love music. So yeah. having a band is not easy. Now you hear all these stories when bands break up, and you're like, what the fuck? They can't get along. They have these hits. They do this. I'm in this little band that nobody knows, and we can't get it together. You know? Yeah. Was yeah, it, was it tough? I think, I think that you're dealing with people's inner child when you're dealing with artists. Uh, a, a lot of us, a lot of artists, you know, we, we say that we feel whole when we're doing our art, and that's because our inner child feels, only feels comfortable enough to come out into the sunshine when there's a structure and a safety and art provides, I think that for me anyway, that structure and that safety. And I've noticed it, you know, it's the same thing, you know, rehearsing a play or, or any, any 
mass artistic endeavor and people come in with ideas and they come up with instincts and they, and they're, they're basically sharing what their inner child is wanting to show. And if, if you d- disagree with it, you're basically telling your, the other person's inner child, fuck you, go back, go back into the darkness. And, 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 uh, and it can get really passionate. All right, listen, this is uh shit talking with, yep. uh, with, uh, with, well, I guess it's shit talking with James Marsers, but uh, these are Patreon fans. So this is, Patron, this is that they're fans. They have questions. They're they're my patrons. They're awesome, and they have some questions. So this is Spitfire. So you, you go, you go, boom. You answer them. You don't have okay. to, to, you know. Anna A, if you could add or change one thing about Spike's character, what would it be? Not a goddamn thing. Really, not one thing. Not a goddamn thing. How about the color of his hair? No, look fucking fabulous. You kidding me? You did look fabulous. I was gorgeous. But you suffered. Oh my- God. You suffered, man. You suffered for art. Yeah, but I look good. And in Los Angeles, it's better to look good than to feel good. Fernando said that on Saturday Night Live. Billy Crystal's kid. He goes, you know, my daddy always told me, he said, Fernando, don't be a schnook. It's not how you feel. It's how you look. He looked <laughs> so, my... <laughs> you, look you look absolutely. Judith D., dear James, what did you think of the series finale of Angel? I thought it was beautiful and epic. I just, uh, just like Buffy's. Yeah, that would be the one thing I would change about about Angel. It, they dumped ice water on us for for eighteen hours because it all they, we they didn't we got uh, canceled by surprise, so they couldn't save back enough money uh, to make a big epic ending. So they just they just dumped huge water on us, and they forgot to park the water truck in the sun, so the water was ice cold, and I was already coughing up blood. I was so sick by the end of that season, and they, <laughs> they were just frozen. I bet Boreanaz lost his shit. No, man, we muscled out. None of us actually bitched about it, but but under, we were muttering. That's because I wasn't there. You know, because you can see your breath, and then like an action. Leanne P. I mean, you just said this. Any fun, cool uh, behind the scene moments from Smallville that you would like to share? But I mean, you know. Yeah, I remember coming on the set and uh, finding out that the the stunt man who was the head of the department and also doubled Tom had just taken an eighteen foot fall. That his wire. Yeah, broke everybody thought he was dead. Yeah, he cu- he yeah. fell and he wasn't all his, but they said his body, the sound it made was, they thought he was dead. Somehow he re- rehabilitated and, and, and he's fine. I mean, obviously, you know, but he, I don't know how he lived. Was yeah. it 25 it's feet? Wasn't it? Yeah, it was insane. And like, it wasn't the first time like that, that kind of thing had happened over on Buffy. That's like, it's actually dangerous. Stunts are actually dangerous. Oh, and, uh, so and that was, that was the day that I, they were going to put me in a big um, mechanical arm to fly me like, like uh, uh, Superman had just punched me. And, and then I have to go twirling through space or whatever. Right. And so they had to like manipulate me. And, and I was just like, really today. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. You know, let's, uh, Todd, do you have a favorite show that you'd love to have a guest role in? Dark. Dude. Dark. Th- but oh. here's the thing. The first season was probably the best show I've seen in years. Right? Unbelievable, that show. And the, the thing is that they, this is supposed to be rapid fire. I'm incapable of rapid fire. With both of us. I apologize. But I, I always imagine the director on Dark, because he gives the same note every take, I imagine. Stop acting. Less, please. Less. Less, less, because the actors is so good because the actors are doing nothing. Yeah, it's right. So simple, and it's so effective. What if we just did this interview like nothing? Like, so um, I don't know. You just, are you, uh, are you happy? <laughs> no. uh, all right, Lisa. Lisa H. Is your side project Vidiots done? You and Mark were just hilarious, and that definitely 
a comedy duo. Oh man, yeah. Mark became a father, and he is—he has now got a real job, so he's not coming out with me to um, to conventions, which is where we filmed *Vidiots*. I'm afraid. So right now, it's—it's it's, uh, if we can figure out a way to 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 keep it going, we will. But for now, it's 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 iced. Brian H., how did you get the gig to do the audiobooks for the Dresden Files, and who's your favorite character to read? I don't know why they chose me. I I have no clue. But Jim uh, Butcher, who writes the Dresden Files, they asked him who he wanted. They said me. I remember uh, thinking that it would be an easy job and finding very quickly that it was a very difficult job. Have you ever done a book on tape, Mike? Um, yeah. It's a lot. It's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot, right? It is. I remember I came back from lunch, and the director was surprised. He's like, you TV actors, you usually go out to for lunch, you don't come back, so good for you. At least you're doing that. Uh, <laughs> my my favorite character is Bob the Scowl because he's got a very interesting accent and he's um, a disembodied uh, spirit that lives in a skull and um, he can't get out and he's horny all the time, so he's a pervert. So he's always talking about trying to get pornography into the, into the skull and uh, no one will give it to him. You are damn good with these accents. It's unbelievable. It's so funny too when you when they read. I, I get nervous because like you know you tell me to read something. I'm like, all right, I'll read these questions. I don't I don't think about it. Then you say, all right, read, and you're like, right before they are rolling and they're like ready, I'm just like, <clears throat> like you got to get started. Like <clears throat> the first day was tough. <clears throat> the first day, the, the first yeah. time was. Yeah. Uh, okay. Thomas T. I met you at a comic con. My wife and I were dressed as Lewis and Clark, and you took a video of us at his table at your table. I'm curious, what's the best cosplay you've seen and taken a video of? <laughs> what's the best? I mean, really? Do you just videotape other cosplay people? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's the thing I do. If you, if you're dressed in, in cosplay of any, uh, any show that I've done, uh, then I just take you a quick video where, you, you know, I would be like, hi, I'm James and I'm Spike. And that's it. That's all you gotta do. And then I just put those together into a short film uh, and then have an audience clapping at the end. And then I just put that on social media after the con. And it's what's the best one? Uh, there was a Zamasu um, from Dragon Ball Super. Uh, I played Zamasu in Dragon Ball Super, uh, and it's a really wild character. He's a god, and he's got you know enormous hair and you know big shoulders and everything, and someone, someone just had it down to a T. Yeah, I can appreciate that. I think you and I are a lot alike in terms of like the cons to me are sort of, they feel like home in a way. They, they, they just feel like, uh, you know, I love getting toys and posters and things. And uh, I just love it there. I feel at home. I, I went to those before I became anything, anyone. I went to horror conventions and. Uh, me too. Yeah. I me love too. It. I was dressed as Spock. Really? I, I, had, I had pointed ears. I had the tricorder. I had the tunic. I had everything in a big blonde afro because I could not control my hair when I was 13 years old. Can you do a Spock but accent? Yeah. I don't think he has one. I, no. can, uh, I can go like that. But doesn't, yeah, the original Leonard Nimoy. He's, yeah, he just, he just, yeah. I don't know. I'm not really a mimic, to tell you the truth. It's hard for me to Character. mimic another person. That's a deep voice. I'm, I can do accents, but it's a different thing. What's the one impression you go to? Can you do one impression of someone? No. <laughs> oh, man. As all, as as, see, as, that's uh, the thing you could. As soon as I'm walking around my house, you're going to be like, oh, I should have done that. Uh I don't, nothing comes to mind. Because you do so many oh, accents, you think there's the, you know, if you just, you probably do, what's his name? Picard. You could probably, if you listen to him, do Picard. Data. Uh, make it so. No, but I'm just doing a plummy accent. That's all I'm doing. That's not, 
that's not Stuart. But Patrick. it's an essence no. of Stuart. Patrick Stewart. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what was wrong with that? Okay. <laughs> I remember, I, I can't do James Mason, but remember James Mason? Yeah, yeah. Right. He had something, I can't do it, but I know there's, there's one line that goes, Hello. He would do that. Hello, Jim. It's time to go now. Or something like that, right? James <laughs> Mason, good, Salem's yeah. Lot. Put, put it down. Give it to the monster. <laughs> something I forgot what it was. Dude, this has been so fun. I'm, I'm glad we finally got to do this. We've talked about it. Um, and I know you're busy. And I know you got a family. And, and it's just like, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you opened up and you were able to uh, hang out with me. Totally, man. I've been looking forward to this ever since you asked me. For the last week and a half, I've been telling everybody, I'm on, I'm on Rosenbaum's podcast. And what's next? I know everybody's sort of like, in a, I don't know what's next, because we're kind of like, you can't really act, you can't do, um, you know, are you doing anything? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm waiting. Uh, we just finished a pitch to DC for an idea for a comic book series uh, that I've had Ooh. for a number of years that I probably shouldn't talk about, but it's super freaking awesome. And uh, we've pitched it and they're uh, our contact at DC is going to, is going to send our pitch up the, up the ladder and see if we get a comic book. Uh, and we're just waiting on that. I'm hoping because it's the perfect thing to do during a lockdown is right. Oh yeah. And then I just finished the next Dresden file book um, uh, called peace talks. Uh, and that'll be coming out in a few weeks, I think. So you just set up your recorder at home and do it there? No, we actually, I went to the studio. Well, think uh, about it. It's probably you in a room. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you go in and wipe down the room and, and make sure no one comes in, adjust your own mic, and, and, and you're fine. Would you ever do a Buffy reunion? Yeah. Uh, I told Joss during Angel that, that uh, if, he, if he called me for anything, whether it's one line or 50, I'd come, when, no matter where I was in the world. But if he wanted to film me doing Spike, he had seven years, because I'm aging and Spike's a vampire, and I, I don't want to play an aged Spike. You know, like, I would do Spike now, but like, what happened to Spike? He looks like shit. Uh, you know? Have you seen, like, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? They, you, young, I almost said euthanized. Because <laughs> <laughs> they youngenized. Uh, you can look younger. You can, and you look good too. You, what are you talking about? Your skin looks good, at least from my vantage point on yeah. screen. I mean, what are you talking yeah. about? Face You're change. younger than me, asshole. The face changes. I don't know. Uh, yes, if there was a way, or if Spike was always in vampire face, then that might work. So, sure, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, man, if Josh wanted me to work again, uh, I would just I would just really want to protect that idea that he's, he's a vampire. He doesn't age. That's one of the core things about being a vampire. Do you still talk to, to him? What's that? Do you still talk to Joss or, or uh, Sarah or any of those guys? Anybody? Um, yeah, you know, I email Sarah once in a while. We brag about our kids. I think <laughs> my kids are more impressive. So in, in my mind, I, I, I beat her every single time because her, her <laughs> kids are much younger than mine. Right. Um, Joss, no, I saw him. Uh, last time I saw Joss was uh, uh, during the Entertainment Weekly photo shoot where we were. It was, it was the 20th year anniversary or whatever. And we did a photo shoot and I got to talk with him a bit, you know, and I found he was the same Joss. Like I thought maybe he'd have changed after Avengers and everything. Like he'd be like Mr. Important guy. And he was the same Joss. He was racked by self-doubt. Just like always. I love that guy. James, thanks for doing this. And I uh, appreciate it. Best luck. What's your handle, by the way, your, your Twitter and Instagram so people can follow you. Uh, James Marsters of as an official, but just OF is on Twitter. 
uh, and then uh, the official James Marsters uh, Facebook page. Well, I'd love to do this again. I'd love to, when this is over, go have a beard, something. I would love it. Talk about yeah. the old days. <laughs> We're getting to that age where I'm like, well, what, you're like 10 years younger than me, aren't you? Uh, no, I'm 58. What? Yeah. You're older than me? Am I? Okay. I didn't know you were older than me. <laughs> I thought you were younger than me. I swear to God. <laughs> you no, bastard. I have this light that my wife gave me. Look at that. You, you know, I have a light in there. I have a light in the other room, too. Hey. You put this light right in your face. But you look good. 10 years off. Here, I'll turn it off for you. Oh, my God. Still look great. You know, there was there a moment, go. I think I've talked about this, but um, I remember one day I was, just, it's 5 a.m. and uh, I'm in the makeup trailer and I'm shaving my face with an electric razor and the makeup artist, Natalie, goes, oh, Michael, that's Tom's razor. And I go, <laughs> oh, no wonder I was feeling so gorgeous for a second. <laughs> and then I went back to my old razor and I was like, oh, the horror, the horror, I'm, I'm, I'm hideous. <laughs> I think I posted that somewhere. Dude, I love you. Thank you again. And uh, thank you. Uh, please say thanks to your wife for letting uh, you use her phone. For this. She saved the whole deal. Man. You, yeah, she man. did, man. This would have been I'll, shitty. I'll cook for her tonight. Thanks for allowing me to be inside of you. That's what I say. <laughs> Oof, baby. Ooh. Don't, don't tell my wife. Hey. All right. I won't. <laughs> Shut up. God damn it. All right. Well, thank you, James Marsters. That, uh, I enjoyed that. I had never really talked to him that much because he was uh, on Smallville with me and we see each other at conventions. But it's like, hey, dude. And I don't, I don't remember really having in-depth conversations with him um, before today. And uh, it just was, um, I just have a brand new respect. It's amazing when you just take a minute to get to know someone. You could learn so much. And I've done that with so many guests where I'm like, wow, I like this person. That's why you shouldn't judge others. You shouldn't say, oh, I heard that guy's an asshole, so he must be an asshole. No, I heard she's a bitch. Why? Because someone heard that heard that heard that she was a bitch. Try to be open-minded, man. I do it. I'm, I can judge, man. I am Mike Judge. I am Judge Judy. I am Judy Dench Judge. That doesn't make sense. Uh, let me just read. Uh, by the way, I just want to say a big shout out to all the patrons who support this podcast. I love you more than you know. Thank you. Anybody who wants to join Patreon, check it out. Uh, go to the Patreon app and you can join. There's so many cool tiers and communities. And I do uh, YouTube lives for everyone uh, where I play music and they recommend songs. And, <clears throat> you know, you just get discounts on stuff and um, just, just so much good stuff. There's so much. Just look at the tiers and, and maybe you want to join. If not, thank you for just listening and subscribing. Uh, please. Please look at the, uh, you know, please follow us and um, inside you at inside you podcast, Instagram, Facebook at inside you pod on um, Twitter and uh, subscribe on YouTube. That's a big one, too. We're growing. We started like uh, 18,000. I think we have over 50,000 subscribers now or something like that. But uh, please watch and listen. Ah, if you could do both, that'd be amazing. Wow. Listen and watch. I would owe you. Do you understand me? Here's a. Uh, a fan letter. I won't read the whole thing. This is from Candy. Miss Candy. She uh, she is so supportive and loving, and it seems like everything I do, it's just it's just like uh, it's just she's a wonderful person, and she has a huge heart, and I just uh, I really appreciate her, and I want to read something that she said. Love your podcast. It's so inspiring and holds my interest. Great therapy. This is one of the best podcasts I have ever listened to. I can relate to most of the inspiring stories your guests talk about. I um, love that you and your guests are so honest and open about their lives and issues and can talk about it 
it's hard to find people that are true to their self and can be honest and are not fake. Um, you know, thank you. Um, Candy, you're so, you're so amazing. And it's funny because I didn't even know this was your letter. I just started looking, I go, wow, this is from Candy. And, um, Candy is a cancer and domestic violence survivor. And, uh, she has a heart of gold, a heart of gold. And that's what it's like. You know, that's what it is. That's what it's about is what I'm trying to say. Shit. Um, so thank you, Candy. Thank you for writing in. And, um, it means a lot. Uh, here's another one. Michael, thank you for creating both your podcast. Well, one is gone now, but I still have the inside of your podcast. So thank you. This is from, uh, uh, Valerie. It seems when I listen to each one that something in it is something I needed to hear at that moment. You see, I don't love myself anymore. Probably because the last man I gave love to died by suicide in June. And I'm struggling every day to know why I was not enough for him to overcome his pain. Hmm. And stay. I'm learning I couldn't have stopped him, but my heart hasn't caught up. Anyway, thanks, Michael. Valerie, that's tremendously sad. And, um, you know, uh, I, I think if you look, if you look at history and you look at people that have committed suicide, you know, I, I probably, there's probably not one person who hasn't said, I wish I could have, I, <clears throat> that's, that's something that is going to happen with any kind of death for the most part. I mean, obviously suicide, you feel, you know, uh, like, oh my God, I didn't know they were that sad. I didn't know this. I, I think, um, when you're in a certain state of mind, like he was maybe, and again, I'm not Dr. Rosenbaum. I'm just kind of from friends and from people I've known that have committed suicide and people have experienced it and had loved ones that, you know, uh, I just feel like when they're in that mindset, there's nothing anybody could have said or could have done. And, uh, you know, like the Robin Williams thing, you know, everybody's like, what, 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 why, why would he do? He was in pain and, you know, things were going on in his mind that no one could understand except him, I assume. So I don't, Valerie, don't you, don't you get down on what you could have done or, um, you'll find love again and you deserve it. We all deserve it. And, um, and I'm sorry. I really am sorry. It's a, it's a terrible thing when someone passes, especially in, in that manner. So, uh, I could just say, uh, you know, I love you Val. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of people love you and care about you. So stay positive and, you know, be healthy, you know, um, he didn't want to be here, obviously, for some reason. So you, um, why don't you live the life that you wish he could have had? Be as happy as you can. Be as present as you can. And um, I don't know. I'm probably spitballing here, but I'm I'm just trying to speak from the heart. Uh, big shout outs. Uh, you know, uh, first of all, uh, obviously, uh, uh, I, I just did the uh, – galaxy con virtual thing on sunday it was a it was fantastic a lot of fun zooms with fans and i'm doing another one for informa so if you want to do zooms and autographs and all that stuff we're doing a virtual one smallville informa july 30th or 27th 
look online. I'll post something, but Informa. Um, again, uh, new uh, Inside of You masks and mugs. Uh, uh, they're online at the Inside of You store. Uh, join Patreon if you so desire. Uh, Inside of You podcast on Patreon and where have all the good horror movies gone on Patreon. It's always nice to see new people and I like to message them and say welcome. And it is me. I do not allow, allow Bryce to make comments unless someone's looking at something that's wrong with their site. So it is me. I always say Rosie or Rosenbaum, but you know it's me by the way I speak. No one speaks like me, like an idiot. Okay, here are the uh, shout-outs. Nancy D., Mary B. I know all these names. I mean, I'm, I could say their last names. I'm not going to. Nancy D., Mary B., Leah S., Trisha F., Sarah V., Yukiko, Jill E., Brian H., Lauren G., Nico P., Barry I., Angelina G., Jerry W., Kevin R., Emily K., Bob B., Robert B., Jason W., Kristen K. I always think Kristen Crook, but I know it's the other Kristen. Hi, Kristen. Amelia O. Oh, 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 Amelia. Sorry, Allison L. Jason D., Raj, Joshua D., Emily S., CJP, Samantha M., Hamza B., Jennifer N., Stacy B., Carly T., Reem, Jennifer S., Janelle B., Tabitha272, Kimberly E., Melissa C., Mike E., Jake M., Marisa N., Hi, Marissa. Judith D, Ramira, Beth B, Chris F, Sarah F, Chad W, Leanne P, we're almost done. Darla W, Jackie P, Rodrigo S, Rachel C, Ray A, Ray A, Ray A, A, Maya P, Morgan D, Demario, Jennifer C, Mari S, Mari S, Tiffany L, Kendrick F, Ashley E, Kelly W, Sigourney P, Tom T, Matt W, Belinda N, Benjamin R, those are the top tier patrons. They are amazing. They support the podcast. They keep it going. Uh, if you know you want to help out, sure. I ain't gonna, you know, I ain't gonna yell at you. I'm gonna give you love, man. I'm gonna give you some love. Thank you for listening again. Make sure you subscribe. Email all your friends. Make sure they subscribe and uh, write reviews. Um, if I don't get back to you, it takes a couple months for the uh, hello at insideofyoupodcast.com. If you leave a message, it could take time. I can't do this many things at the same time. Ryan's not here. I don't know, I'm missing. I don't have my wonderful Jessica, um, who you've heard about, my assistant. She's wonderful. She's uh, she's not with me anymore, but we're on great terms. It wasn't like that, and I love her. And hi, look, come on. Look at a special guest. Come here. Come on. Come on. Ugh. Look at this special guest here. We've got my doggy Blanche as I end the show. You came in at the right time, didn't you? She's a good girl, and she smells good. Breathe in the microphone. You hear that? That's her nose. Uh, I love you all. Thank you all for allowing me to be inside of you today. And um, another big shout out to uh, my patrons on the horror, where have all the horror movies gone? Good horror movies gone. Inside of you, Patreon. And uh, Bryce and uh, Ryan, I love you. And uh, I wish everybody the best. Have a great freaking week, man. And stay safe, stay healthy, do something positive. Um, and my. Uh, uh, what is it, Blanche? Um, thank you. Can you stop? I, I love you. Um, foodonfoot.org, uh, Ronald McDonald House of Los Angeles, Echoes of Hope. Uh, shout out to all my charities. I love you guys. Thank you. 
welcome to Talkville. The Ultimate Smallville Rewatch Podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although, I didn't really work with her a lot. But, Tom did. And they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.